Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Glad to have everybody back. We are focused on 2 um, Chronicles. Sometimes even God's people feel overwhelmed. The fact that we're God's people doesn't mean we can't feel like there's too much pressure, too much going on to us, uh, with us, that I'm not sure we'll be able to handle it. We feel like the odds are stacked against us or that things are just not going well. I don't know about you, but I fall into this sentence right here. That's been me in the past. Well, Jehoshaphat, what a name, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, felt that way back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 as well. Now, before we go into it, the, the book of Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles, to me is rather interesting. We have 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings in our English Christian Bibles. The Jewish people didn't have books of 1 and 2 Samuel. They called them 1 and 2 Kings and 3 and 4 Kings. I don't know why, what the, the basis is for why we started calling them 1 and 2 Samuel, but the Jewish people say 1 and 2 Kings and then the book of 3 and 4 Kings. When it comes to Chronicles, the word that's translated Chronicles, the original name in the Jewish Bibles for what we're going to be looking at is things left out. This is some extra stuff that was written down later because most of it, a good bit of it, was not mentioned in 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or 4th Kings in the Bible. So I'm very glad that we have this additional information given to us and recorded in God's Word so that we can learn and hopefully learn this morning from Jehoshaphat and what the people of Israel were facing in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. Let's see this morning what happened. And a lot of what we'll be doing is looking at the first 12 or so verses of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So we're going to be letting the text do a lot of speaking for us here this morning. 2 Chronicles 20 verses 1 and 2. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. This ain't good. I'm going to actually just use the real English. This ain't good. Imagine that news first thing in the morning. Maybe Jehoshaphat slept well. Maybe he had a rough night. Maybe he woke up with a headache, and his advisors come in and say, Good morning, king. Guess what? You've got a great horde coming to attack you. Now, when things aren't good, we face a choice. Jehoshaphat's going to face a choice here. All of us face a choice when things don't seem to be going well. Now, from a map perspective, what are we talking about? Zoomed in on the land of Israel. So if you went to Google Maps and you typed in Israel, you would zoom in. You would see the Dead Sea, which you see smack in the center of the map. But roughly... 2,600, 2,700 years ago, it would have looked more like this. You had Judah, which is a relatively small kingdom. It's maybe 30 miles by 30, so I mean, it would fit really in Middle Tennessee, here to Columbia, perhaps, and think of that as a square. So we're not talking about some huge land. And on their eastern border, across the sea, across the Jordan River, were several nations 
the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. Now the Ammonites have a tie into the modern day. When you hear the news talk about Amman, Jordan, the capital of the country of Jordan, Amman is coming from Ammon. We say Ammon, Ammonites many times, but it's Amman, Jordan. That's still a tie to that name 2,700 years later. Now, it's generally thought that the way they came is they came down and all joined forces and came below the Dead Sea, crossed over, and were going to come up trying to attack Jerusalem. They're on the way up to Jerusalem in this passage that we're looking at. Je then Jehoshaphat was afraid. I think all of us might be. You got these hordes from three nations coming. Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. His first choice is a good one. When you see something coming that's going to be difficult, when you see something on the edge coming at you that's hard, that's going to be difficult, that's going to be a challenge, that's really an important first choice. Seek the Lord the way Jehoshaphat did. So what did he do? He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The reason many times people in the older days would proclaim a fast was because it broke the habit so many of us have of, and you focus on, man, I'm hungry. I can't wait to dig into some of these hot dogs and some of this good stuff out here. But when you have a fast, you're not looking for how you're gonna fill your stomach. You're, you're focusing not on physical things. It allows you to focus on spiritual or important things. Jehoshaphat wanted the people of Judah to focus on God because they've got quite the challenge coming across the Jordan River at them. And forgetting about food, even for just a short while, can be a really good way to focus on the important things. So here's another recommendation. If you've got something tough, coming at you, don't focus on that whole half gallon of ice cream that you might be able to track down. Don't focus on, well, this is a perfect time to eat two whole Domino's pizzas. How about trying to forego some food and focus on what's really important, which I believe Jehoshaphat did there at the first, where he set his face to seek the Lord. Judah assembled to seek the Lord. When he called the fast throughout Judah, Many, many people from Judah got together to seek help from the Lord as a group. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now remember, this was not a huge place, not a large geographical area. It's not like some of these people had to come from Kansas City to Nashville, that kind of distance. It's very possible that if you had the word go out, you might have people who could get from Brentwood into Nashville, people that might be able to get from uh, Madison into Nashville, Bellevue into Nashville. They got together because it was important and with one voice they wanted to seek the Lord. So instead of panicking, instead of running away to hide, let me find a good hole to hide in until these people leave, the king and his people seek help from the Lord. What is our first response when we're facing trouble? I've been known almost sometimes as a chicken with his head cut off because a very common first reaction is running in circles. And for many of us, I've never actually seen a chicken with a head cut off. No, I'm not going to YouTube, hunt for it. 
I suspect there's a video of it. But what I've been told from people that used to have fried chicken by going and getting a chicken out of the yard is sometimes it would just be and the chicken's body seemed to not know it was missing the head for a while. Chicken with his head cut off. It doesn't do much good. The chicken's running around. Neither of it does any good for me or for you to be running around like that panicking because problems are not solved from panic. Problems are solved by getting a clear head, depending on the problem, seeking the face of the Lord, and then getting down to solving it. What's my first response when I have a problem? Continuing on. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. People apparently came to Jerusalem. All the people of Judah from the cities came to seek the Lord. They came to Jerusalem to the temple. And Jehoshaphat as the leader is standing in the, the courts of the temple. He's not going in like the priest into the temple itself, the Holy of Holies or any of that kind of stuff. But all the people are gathered together and Jehoshaphat standing there like a leader. And here's what he says. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Sometimes, we've talked about this before here at Lindsley, sometimes we seem to be afraid to say to God what we're really thinking. Look at that first sentence. Aren't you God in heaven? Aren't you in control of everything? Hey, People are coming after us. Help. Too often, we may be thinking that in our heads. We may be thinking, I mean, it sure doesn't seem like God's near, but then when we want to pray, we'll say, Oh, gracious Father. You know, we, we don't say what's on our hearts. We don't say what's in our minds. God knows what we're thinking. Why not verbalize it? Why not express frustration, fear, whatever you're feeling? David did that. In the book of Psalms. Throughout the book of Psalms, he did that. Jehoshaphat's doing the same thing. I think God wants us to speak openly. Sometimes by speaking that out loud, it's kind of therapeutic. You get the thing out so it's not just stuck up in here, and then you realize God, in fact, is the God in heaven. Here the king essentially says, Hey, we're in danger here. Aren't you the God of everything? We need help. And it's okay to appeal to God that we need help. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? Yes, God had given the people of Israel the land to the descendants of Abraham who was called the friend of God. That's how close Abraham was. He did do this. He is the God of heaven. He did give the land to the people. And they, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, they have lived in it, in the land, and have built for you in it a sanctuary. They have built for you the temple for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house. This is your house, God. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and say people lived in the land, built the temple, saying themselves, if we need to, this is where we're going to run. We come here, we cry out to God, God of our fathers, our God will hear and save us. So far, I'm giving the response the people are having here a nice solid A 
because they're doing exactly what we should do. Now he gets to the meat of it, right? Present problem. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, these people we did not take out on our way in, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, out of this land that you have given us to inherit. The people of Ammon and Moab, both descended, we learn from the book of Genesis, from Lot, Abraham's nephew. And the people of Mount Seir descended from Esau, Esau, that was Jacob's brother. These are extended family, right? Real, we would say really far back cousins. Well, when the people of Israel, when God led them out of Egypt and they came into the promised land under Joshua, God had told the people of Israel to leave them alone because they are your kindred. And so the people of Israel did. They did not attack Edom. They did not attack Moab. They did not attack Ammon. And the king is saying essentially, now look what's happened. You didn't let us take them out and now they're coming after us. Oh Lord our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We can't fight them now. We're a whole lot smaller than we used to be. We're, we're tiny Judah. Most of the land of Israel has gone away. And they were powerless. They were outnumbered by this, again, look at the words, this great horde. Love that word. Great horde. Look what Jehoshaphat says next. We are powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I say, ah, there's the key. <laughs> strength does not come from us, but strength comes from God. If they had tried to drum up all the spears they could, if they had tried to set traps and, and build, you know, dig foxholes or whatever they were going to do 2,700 years ago, that great horde would have overrun them. But they don't. They look to God who was going to protect them and say, our eyes are on you, God. It's in your court. You are the one in whom we have our faith, in whom we put our trust. So what happens? I would argue they have done pretty much exactly what they should have done. A great horn's coming. What a great morning for the king. He proclaims a fast. He tells all of Judah, fast. Let's focus on the important stuff here, not on getting a biscuit this morning. Everybody came together to Jerusalem, and in front of all the people, Jehoshaphat said these words and said, we don't know what to do. We are powerless against this horde, but our eyes are on you. What happens next? Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, said, thus says the Lord to you. God responds. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. What a name. Go visit someplace, visit the little place of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Look what God says next. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. 
O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Do you see how he said twice, this prophet who's bringing God's word to them, God's response, twice he said, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Do you think God thought some people would be feeling dismayed and afraid? Absolutely. Again, nothing has changed. This great horde is still coming. Even though God says, I got this, he's saying, you got to relax. I'll take care of this the way I've taken care of you ever since I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why do you think God wanted them to go down there? Why didn't God just reach out a thumb, as it were, and just go wipe them out? Why did God want them to go down and see the horde approaching? Well, it's one thing to know that God took care of you. It's another to see it with your own eyes. It's another to see God's deliverance with your own eyeballs instead of hearing about it, instead of knowing God did it. I think that's why. Go on down there, so don't worry. You don't have to carry your, your swords. You don't have to carry your javelins. You're not going to need to fight, but you need to go meet the horde. Let the horde be coming towards you, but chill out. God says, I've got this. God says, I've got this. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Upon hearing this word from God that he was going to take care of this horde, what do they do? They immediately praise him and praise his name. Note that the armies are still coming. The armies haven't disappeared. The armies are still marching. But when God promises something, it's as good as done, even if it hasn't happened yet. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though I'm facing a challenge tomorrow, God's still going to be there because he promised he would. God promised that those who accept Jesus and become members of his family are going to go home to live with him. We're still here. But when God promises something throughout the Bible, consistently God promises something before that something's happened, book it, count it, because it will happen, and it's going to right here. So they rose. Remember God said, go out and meet them the next morning. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when they had taken the counsel with the people, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And it does. God's love endures forever. It's never going to go away. Unfortunately, some of us don't stay steadfast. We are the ones who waver. We are the ones who wander. God is constant. God's love is never going to fail. All we have to do is stay focused on God, have our eyes upon God. 
And when they began to sing in praise, notice, when they did this, the Lord took action. The Lord had said, don't worry, you're not going to have to fight. They'd gotten up the next morning like God said to do. The horde's still there. The armies are still there and coming. When they praise God, when they start singing to God and say, his steadfast love endures forever. When they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, those who would come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. These three groups of people, remember, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, Mount Seir, had all gotten together because we're going to go whoop up on those people of Judah. But as they're coming, God sets the ambush here of internal problems. First, the men of Ammon and Moab start fighting against the people of Edom. Let's gang up on them. I've always disliked those. They fight against them and then they turn on each other. God takes them out by having them destroy themselves. When they began to sing, as I said, God took action. And the enemies of God's people destroyed one another. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Judah. Do you think the next small kingdom somewhere else is going to say, all right, our turn? When they just heard what happened to the people of Ammon, Moab, and Edom? Don't think so. Why did God take action? Because the people turned to God, they put their trust in God, and their eyes were on God. The Lord will fight against the enemies of his people. He will. And he will do that today. There is no reason, there's no need to face problems by ourselves. Whether that's a health problem, whether that's some sort of relationship problem, whether that's a problem we are having with sin. If we put our eyes on God, we will not be facing that problem alone. What does God ask of us? What did God ask of them? Put your face toward me, trust in me, and if you remain my people, I will deliver you. Today, he asks us to give him our lives and to live for him. What that involves, if you're not a member of God's family, is to understand that Jesus came and lived and died for you. He died and took the penalty for my sins on himself. I don't have to face that penalty if I believe and understand what he did, if I seek to every day turn away from my sins and continue to live more for God each day. And then as he, as Jesus himself said, to be baptized, to reenact Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, to be put under water so that when I am raised up, God will wash away my sins. It's nothing I'm doing, it's what God's doing when that happens. I can become a member of his family and not face the future on my own. I'll be one of God's people in that point. If I am a member of God's family and I'm still facing problems, whether it's a health challenge, whether relationships seem to be going bad, whether it's a problem with sin, I just can't seem to break. I can't seem to quit. We have, as God's family, the ability to gather together and pray for strength and forgiveness 
Because God always hears his people. So just like the people in 2 Chronicles 20 who triumphed because they put their eyes on God, you too can triumph this morning if you will come and be a member of his family. And I want to ask you, will you please do that today as we stand and sing?